Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week we asked the question, how do I know if I'm singing good songs? It's a great privilege to chat with singer-songwriter Keith Getty this week. When we talk about authentic worship or good worship, let's ask, what are we actually singing about? And is this giving us an honest picture of the God of the Bible? My wife's expecting our fourth child right now, and she's having to go for regular tests at the doctors. I don't want the doctor telling her that he makes her heart glad. I don't want the doctor telling her that that she just feels in the presence right now. I want him to tell her the truth. For a reason that may remain a mystery for eternity, God commands his people to sing songs of worship to him and he delights in it. In fact, when we read Revelation and just see a window into heaven, we see singing. You know, it's, it's one of the main activities that we'll be experiencing and that we'll do in heaven. And anytime, you know, we see things in heaven, uh, you know, that God gives us ability to do on earth, you know, we should work towards doing whatever that is to the best of our ability, even though, you know, even though we're sinners and we're broken and things like that. Now, like we were talking about last week with the idea that there are good churches and bad churches, there are also good songs and bad songs. Now, when I'm talking about songs, I'm not just referring to, you know, music inspired by Christianity or some song that, you know, mentions Christian themes. I'm specifically talking about actual congregational songs of worship to God that, you know, are written specifically for that very purpose. Now, to help us think through some of these things, um, it's just a great honor to have Keith Getty with us today. Keith and his wife, Kristen, have written many songs for the church in the last 15 years, and you may be most familiar with their song, In Christ Alone. Anyways, before we get to that, I wanted to mention to you that this coming Thursday, October 19th, is our very last live stream Bible study in the Book of Romans with Dr. John Newfeld. Now, we'd love for you to come and participate in this important study wherever you are because it's through live stream. Uh, you can just head to indoubt.ca slash Bible study to find out how you can join us for this event. Also, this month, there's a super great opportunity to help us out financially because everything we do is actually sustained by people who generously and kindly give. Now, I'll share with you more about this opportunity after we have this important conversation with Keith Getty. With me today is Keith Getty. Keith is a songwriter for the church and has spent many, many years now, along with his wife Kristen and others, to write songs for the gathered church to sing. Um, as, as you're listening right now, you've most likely sung at least one or two of his songs in a church setting, uh, one of his most popular being In Christ Alone. But anyways, uh, it's great to have you on the show today, Keith. Honored to be here. Thank you so much indeed. Uh, the first thing is just, you know, h- help us know who you are a little bit. Who are you? How, how did you meet Jesus? What is your what does your life look like day to day right now? Um, well, I, I grew up in, in Ireland. I grew up in a Christian home, music, musical parents as well. And I came to know Christ when I was young. Uh, music was a huge part, has been a huge part of my life mm-hmm. as I was finishing high school, went into professional music. And then in my mid-20s, with, with a concern with what was being sung in churches, started to try sort of reinventing the hymn form. Hmm. And uh, the first hymn that we wrote was called In Christ Alone, which some of you will know. And uh, that really was the start of it. And um, then by 30, I got married. I got married by th- just before I was 30. And at 30, we quit the music industry to focus entirely on writing hymns and being wow. stewards of those hymns. So that, that's what we've been doing ever since. That's awesome. And and you're right now, I mean, the conference was down in Nashville. Now, is that where you reside now or... 
That's right. We live in Nashville from September to June. We're kind of like students that never grew up. So September <laughs> to June, we actually we actually live in the university area of Nashville, would you believe? Okay. And then June, June until September, we head back to the coast of Ireland. We're in our little small home by the beach that we all just hang. Oh. And we use that for decompressing and then also for quite a lot of writing. And, of course, all our all our families are there. So it allows yeah. to, our kids to be with their grandparents and their cousins and stuff. So it's cool. That's so, that's so good. Well, thank you for sharing that a little bit. All right. So let's jump into here. Um, there are only a few evangelical churches today that I, I don't think would maybe emphasize singing, but most do. So obviously we know from the word of God and, and experience as well that corporate singing to God as praise and worship is an essential activity of the gathered church. So as, as someone, Keith, who's devoted you know his life to writing and singing corporate worship songs, just more maybe, maybe this is a personal answer you're going to give, but why do you think God established singing? Out of all these other things, singing is such an important activity in the gathered church. Well, it, it, it's amazing, isn't it? Because, of course, God doesn't need our praises. God's, he's ascetics, what the theologians say. The ascetic the, the of God, sorry, the theologians say he exists, doesn't need us. Mm. Um, but, and he is immortal and he is invisible and he's God only wise. Right. And he, he is all knowing. And yet the Bible actually commands us to sing more times than it commands. I think it's the second most common command in Scripture is to sing or to praise. Wow. Um, uh, which is an incredible thing. But, but, but more than the Bible tells us that we were created to praise it as part of what we were created to do. And then thirdly, if we look through the history of the Old Testament, the New Testament, through all of church history, it is the natural response of God's people who have discovered Christ, God's grace. You know, Alistair Begg, my old pastor, he always used to say, I love it when I see someone coming to church and the singing, if they're a stranger, or say their wife is a believer, is so abhorrent to them, mm. but to watch them gradually discover it and then see their faces filled with joy as they sing yeah. to the Lord. It's just an extraordinary thing. So, so I, I, and probably most miraculously of all, I mean, given, given the failures of my own life and my own mm. heart, even in the last, since I woke up today, you know, it says, the Bible says God desires our praises. He delights in our praises, you know? Yeah. So, so it is, it is ultimately a mystery, but it is right across the scripture that it is not, it is a holy activity. So if you're a pastor or you're a leader or you're a parent out there, this is not a job that we sideline for musicians to take care of. Mm. This is something that we have to model. This is something that we have to make sure our families are actively involved in. And this is something we have to make sure our congregations are actively involved in. This is not a job that can ever be hired out to somebody else. Yeah, no, that that's really good, Keith. And even just going back to your first point, I find that fascinating. Uh, just the reminder that God doesn't need us. He doesn't need our praises. Yet there's something about, you know, our singing to him that he takes some sort of delight in, uh, which I just find fascinating because we think about, you know, we read in Revelation that, I mean, you know this, like there's going to be multitudes upon multitudes just continually singing praises to God. That's right. That's yeah. right. And that's, and I think when we get together as congregations, it's important to remember that as we reach on a Sunday and we don't like the music and our congregation is a, you know, we see all the dysfunctions that exist in people and, and interpersonal relationships. Yeah. We have to remember, as you said, that, that it is actually a foretaste of heaven. This picture yeah. of heaven is that every tribe, multitude, language, nation, people are together singing. Why? Because we're singing about the lamb who was slain. Mm. And so that lamb who was slain is what gathers us together. And that's why, that's why, for example, that's why, for example, as leaders, we have to have the humility to find songs that everyone can sing together because it's the togetherness that's important. Yeah. And that's why, as those who are part of the congregation, 
we have to make sure that we never let music separate something that the gospel has put together. That's so good. That's that's very good, Keith. Uh, you know, you know, looking around today, um, and within like maybe the last fifty years or so, church music in general seems to be you know one of the top reasons why churches you know bicker with one another and even split. Um, has music in the church always been this way, as you can see, and and why is it such a sore topic in the church? Um, I think. I- well, there's a few obvious things. No, number one, you know, music is a very emotional thing. So, for example, for example, my wife, who is much more rooted than I am, was recently studying a book called The Early Worship Wars of Lutheranism. In other words, the very first generation of Luther bringing hymns back wow. to the church 500 years ago yeah. resulted in a whole burst out of worship wars. So they've existed forever. You know, um, the church fathers argued about singing and all this kind of stuff. And and right from the very start, right from the very first generation of believers, we uh, we... we it seems, according to historians, there were those who followed the more Judaistic method of right. of psalms and liturgy, and there were those who followed the more free form of celebrate of, of just song, simple songs that celebrated Jesus. So, right. and that and those two patterns have kind of existed hand in hand all throughout the history of Christendom. Mm. So there are lots of things. It's, it's a any highly emotional subject, right? Um, brings that kind of thing, and it is so dear to us. It's, it's so it's so rich to us, but. I, I think, honestly, there's a lot of confusion. I mean, one of the reasons we started the Sing Initiative is because globally, what we see around us is so similar to Luther's situation 500 years ago. In mm. one sense, it's not. The Bible is in more languages today than at any point in history, right. which we thank God for. And secondly, people are talking about people are talking about about church worship all the time. People are obsessed with it. People are leaving churches over it. Right. Whereas, so in one sense, it couldn't be more different to Luther's time. But if you actually look below the cover. Yeah. You actually see that the average Christian in the West, in fact, the average Christian in the world, there are more Christians in the world than at any point in history, but your average Christian in the world, or even your average Christian in the West, knows less about the Bible than our grandparents did just by attending school. They they could probably tell you the Old Testament better than most evangelicals. Right. You know, you know, people who weren't even Christians because of education. And then on the other side, there is actually more confusion about singing. If you take out the first three rows of most churches, you would find there is almost no singing being done. Wow. Yeah. And not only that, and not only that, the singing that is being done isn't isn't songs that people carry with them through lives. It's a, it's a, it's a transient thing. Mm. It's a trans it's a transient journey and, and and a transient journey which tends to journey through a few happy thoughts about God right. rather than and so we come up with these phrases like authentic worship, which is describing an emotional feeling, right. whereas authentic worship should actually be an authentic picture of the God of the Bible. Yeah. So so for those two reasons, both the lack of Bible in our worship yeah. Uh, lack of Bible understanding and the lack of congregational singing as a whole, we decided about 500 years after Luther to kind of do a little bit of a litmus test <laughs> and to try and see, uh, to, to try and help encourage churches in congregational singing. Yeah, no, that, that's very good, Keith. And I think what you just said will kind of flow into this next question. But when you consider uh, the, the, the body of Christ, the church body, with all of its members from various backgrounds and cultures and interests from over all these different years as well, what do you see uh, are the essential features or characteristics of a corporate worship song? You know, what what needs to be there and why does it need to be there? Well, um, God, what a wonderful question. What's the essential characteristic of a worship song? Well, <laughs> it's, um, well it's very large. <laughs> I, everybody's a different opinion. What does the Bible say? The Bible in some ways gives us a very bl- a blank sheet. You know, I mean, I'm a classical musician. Right. Um, my, wife's, my wife's a pop musician and um, <laughs> most of our band are folk musicians. So we would all have different <laughs> answers to that. Right. The, Bible actually, the Bible actually resoundingly doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, about that about that side of things, but it does care that the word of Christ dwells in us richly. Yeah. The Psalms are very ruthless about 
about whether they're whether they're all kinds of different literary form lengths, short, long, use repeat, don't use repeat, all that kind of stuff. But they do give us the deep picture of the God of the Bible. So they're not scared to tell us things that aren't too nice for us to hear. Things about his wrath, his judgment, mm. his holiness, his intolerance of sin, his punishment of those who disobey. Right. All of these things are part of that's authentic worship. Now that mightn't give me a that mightn't give me a feeling of, of of consolation when I'm feeling bad all the time. Although it should actually in some ways. Right. But it's not it's not it's not ther- it's, it's it's not instant therapy stuff. Right. But that's authentic worship. So when we talk about authentic worship or good worship, let's ask. Let's ask, what are, what, what are we actually singing about? And is this giving us an honest picture of the God of the Bible? Yeah. My wife's having to go for, my wife's expecting our fourth child right now. And she's having to go for regular tests at the doctors. I don't want the doctor telling her that he makes her heart feel glad. Yeah. Hmm. I, don't want her te- I don't want the doctor telling her that she, that she just feels in the presence right now. Hmm. I want him to tell her the truth. Right. Because because if because if, if the truth is, if there, if there are warnings that we have to change our diet or change our behavior or... Or whatever, then then we have to then we have to do those things, and yeah. so and so so Christianity has worked in the truth. It's also rooted in thankfulness as well. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's another thing as well. I always try to remind myself. You know, and I remind my artist friends as well. Remind the artists in your church as well, filled with thankfulness. Yeah. You know, the the New Testament. Let the work has done richly as you meet together, sing, singing songs with thankfulness. So mm-hmm. it is it is it is that it is the joy of our lives to do this. So, so those things. Those things are important. And then if we're singing together, yeah. obviously we're singing together. When Chris and I want to listen to music, we like interesting jazz. We like we like <laughs> complex arrangements of stuff. When we're singing with our girls, yeah. we sang, in the hardest morning, we sang the B-I-B-L-E, Yes, That's the Book for Me, <laughs> and then Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho, and then this is the light of mine. Because you know what? We could all sing it together. Mm. So the thing about it is, it's about being together. So we choose songs that all of us can sing together as a family. So and I think that's, and I think that that kind of stuff's important. Yeah, no, that, that's very good. And you know, just just last week, Keith, we talked with Jonathan Lehman from Nine Marks, asking the question, "How, how do I know uh, that I'm in a good church?" And we sort of went through that. And I kind of sort of see this kind of conversation: How do I know I'm singing good songs? Um, this might be an interesting question. I want to get your thoughts on it, but. Are there any good reasons to possibly even leave a, a, a church because of the music? Gosh, that's, that's a question that's probably above my pay grade. I haven't <laughs> been asked it before, and so I, I'm not sure I could, you know, I think if something if something is not clearly bringing us the gospel of Jesus, so if worship leaders are telling us that something else is the way to God, or they're not giving us a complete gospel, mm. or are they showing such selfishness to their congregation mm. that 80% of the people can't, can't participate, whether it be a musical snob from the classical background or whether it be a self-obsessed young worship leader who wants to write songs that were written two weeks ago and don't don't deserve to be sung by next week, right. then then that that could cause enough problems that people would, would feel they needed to leave. But but I think that issue is a much broader issue. Yeah, and I wouldn't want someone to, to leave purely based on that statement that I made, because right. that would be... I, I, I don't feel I'd be well enough informed to, sure, to, to of speak course. into it. No, I, I understand that. That's very good. Um, now, Keith, when you reflect on and, and sort of consider uh, the general evangelical landscape of of what you see as corporate worship music in churches today, and I, I don't want to think a little bit more in the West because uh, how we worship here in the West is probably different than what we see in like maybe China and Africa and things like that, but what what are you seeing? What what's good? What what do you see as maybe unhelpful and even wrong? Yeah, what are you seeing? Well, when we started writing hymns, we were really discouraged. I mean, our, our hymns are really a, were really protest songs every bit as much as, as Bob Dylan's <laughs> songs were protest songs. They really were. We were we were angry. 
who were mm. angry with what was being sung in church. And while all my, our attitudes were not right and were not measured and were not humble, I, I, I do think we were right to be angry. I think in the 15 years that has passed since we started writing songs, I do think churches are caring more about the, the, con- about the, about the theology of the songs, but I'm not sure congregational singing is necessarily being fixed mm. and it's necessarily where it should be. And I, you, there are many foot reasons for that, but I think I, I point to two main reasons. Okay. And that is, if you're the daddy, you take control. Mm. So that's that. That means two things. That means in my home, I want my children to sing songs of the Lord. I want them to look at me loving singing songs of the Lord. You know, there's all these surveys that say you know seventy percent of kids who leave the church say they never saw their dad sing. You know that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's a terrible witness when a daddy doesn't sing. Wow. But taking that to the taking that to the church level, the senior pastor needs to be in control. We we went to Lehman's church. Lehman goes to Mark Dever's church, I think, right. in DC. Right. And we went to his church, and but three weeks before we'd been just been to Brooklyn Tabernacle with Jim Cymbala. Oh, yeah. Now yep. there is there's not a huge amount of musical, theological, ecclesiological, or socioeconomic things in common those two churches have. Right. Right. You might argue you couldn't get two different churches, but <laughs> They're actually almost almost identical in one way, in that they both love to sing because their senior pastor loves to sing. Wow! Yeah. And really so what I'm saying is, so what I'm saying is, one of those churches has 25 professional musicians and a Sunday one is none. Yeah. One has a deep theology of hymnody. One doesn't care. Yeah. You know, one one believes in the gift of the spirit. One does not. You know, taking all that stuff aside. If the senior pastor goes, we had the privilege of singing in a church in Auburn, Alabama, at the weekend Lakeview. We had the privilege of singing in a church in um, Middle California last year. And I've rarely seen such passionate singing in my life. Mm-hmm. But the senior pastor caters. Yeah. The senior pastor is there for the whole time. He teaches why you need to sing. He gives you a document on why you need to sing. Wow. He maybe reads, reads a book on why you need to sing. He will he will encourage the congregation to sing. He will be at the front singing. You know, so daddy has to care. Mm-hmm. You know, one of our band members, Zach White, said he grew up. They're, all, they're a family of real fun Christian kids, and their mm-hmm. daddy grew up where their dad was the main, was the passion, most passionate singer in the church. And I think it took them till they were teenagers to realize that their dad couldn't even sing in tune. But the passion of that was enough. So, number one, daddy has to start singing, whether it's the daddy in the home yeah. or it's the daddy in the church. No senior pastor listening to this show should dare think he can improve his congregation singing mm. by hiring somebody to do music. It is his job. Mm. He will stand before God. He must deal with it. He must he must stand up and he must waken up. That's good. The second thing, the second thing is is that we're singing really bad songs. The song the standard of songs is terrible, you know. Mm. And so, you know, at the end of the day, great songs sing well. If you go into an Irish pub, they will sing Amazing Grace well. Do you know why? Wow. Because it's a great song. Right. It sings well. It's wonderful to sing. Mm. And so I, I have far more respect for churches who will sing forty songs well right then the church you're constantly jumping on whatever the fad is mm. or constantly letting some out of control worship leader trial his new songs all the time right. and even Kristen and i as professional songwriters have only averaged three to four songs a year wow for 17 years and yeah. we write we probably record between 500 and a thousand right you know so we're recording that number and then we're releasing three to four because i at least have enough respect for god's church right. that i would not until i was absolutely certain yeah. Something added a value both in its message and then its and then in the musicality of the song that it was so good to sing. Yeah. That I would do. And, and even then we sometimes fail, you know. And that's, sure. that's, that's an off that's and that's that's years of my life given to that. You know, yeah. years of my life doing nothing else but sitting in a room trying to write tunes. Wow. So so those two things. Yeah. Daddies have to wake daddies and senior pastors have to wake up. Yeah. And number two, we've got to sing good songs. Let's yeah. start with good songs. And I mean you you've seen it a thousand times. You go into these these big events, yep. these big churches, and some young kid at the front is singing some dumb song, and the first three year olds are jumping up and down like it's a disco, and everybody else doesn't care. Right. Then, then you actually sing something like, 
you know, like Hagrita or and suddenly everybody starts singing. Yeah. You know, it's 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 it's, it's excruciating. And yeah. and I think, you know, again it actually comes back to the senior pastor. They need to get these guys in order, mm. you know. That's good. That's really good. And, you know, I've, I've heard it said, Keith, uh, I'm not sure where I heard it, but uh, someone was saying that a, a good song, one of the good marks of a good song is that, you know, s- someone's dying at their deathbed and the family can come next to that person and sing in acapella a song that would bring this person that's dying uh, to a place of just treasuring Christ. Um, and I just love that. I love yeah. that image because... That's a brilliant yeah. line. I love that. That's yeah. brilliant. And that is brilliant. Yeah. Well, it wasn't from me, Keith, so it was from someone else. Maybe it was Piper who said that. I'm not sure, but... It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. There you go. Take, <laughs> I'll say, take nothing. Say, no, say nothing. Take the credit. I'll take the credit. There you go. Um, on a different note here, as we sort of uh, get close to wrapping up, Keith, what are your thoughts on the importance of um, experience and, and emotion when singing corporate worship? Because a lot of times people sort of pit those two things together. You're, you're either going to have a church that, you know, just sings these songs about doctrine and it's all like there's no emotion and there's other there's another church that's all about uh, uh, emotion with very weak songs so yeah what is your experience with yeah experience and emotion well unlike unlike many of my reformed friends i have both a high view of music in church and a high view of emotion mm. so you know i'm an i'm an extrovert irish musician do you know what i mean so <laughs> i love i love i I'm happy for people to use as much music as they want in church and, and use music in as many different ministries in church. I think it is one of the most powerful tools that God has given us. Luther believed after the Bible itself, it was the next most important tool we've been given for ministry. Yeah. And I actually agree with Luther, except I also agree with Luther that, 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 that the apex of that is congregational singing yeah. and everything else is completely secondary and, and optional. Right. And the second thing is in terms of emotion, I think when we read the Psalms, um, indeed, when we read the New Testament, and indeed when we read revivalists from all parts of history, um, there isn't a lot of evidence to suggest that we should be subdued or look like we've got some kind of, you know, kind of emotional expression problem derived from kind of a parental or grandparental kind of misjudgments or something. Right. We, we, we should be glad, people. This, this idea, when Luther brought back congregational singing, the idea that Christians would be stereotyped in the media today as people who look sad and somber and church and serious mm. would have broken his heart. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it is, it is, it is no. There is no evidence for it in Scripture. Yeah. It doesn't. It, it betrays even basic common sense. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I mean, the idea that the idea that you can be going that, that a non-Christian goes to a sports game on Saturday night and watches people filled with joy yeah. and watches people on a Sunday morning singing with kind of angry looking eyes is just horrendous. Yeah. So I think I, I I think I think I think we need to watch that. But I, but I think a lot of it is just all of us embracing and re-understanding what congregational singing is all about. Yeah. And uh, and um, and and then and re- well realize ultimately realizing what our Lord is all about, but then mm-hmm. helping understand how congregational singing can help with that. Yeah. Uh, and realizing that these worship leaders at the front. You know, they might help, but for the most part, we, we've got to kill this worship leader culture. And if that means getting rid of them all together, that's great. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and, um, but, you mean, but it's a congregational activity. Congregational singing is a congregational activity. Yeah, that's really you know, good. And, a, and if a choir or a worship leader or a tuning fork or a guitar at the front can help, right. then God bless, God bless them. And may, and, may, and, may, and may they do it better and better every time that's, that's for, the sake, for the sake of our churches and for the sake of God's kingdom. Yeah, that's awesome, Keith. Uh, the, the last the last question is this. What's one word or maybe two words of encouragement or warning uh, you'd give to young adults uh, involved or wanting to get involved with the worship music ministry at, at their church? I'll ask them why they want to do it. But the main job is to help the congregation sing. Right, right. You know, so, so, so I, I hope 
I hope the people we work with do it with extraordinary skill and extraordinary seriousness and extraordinary joy. Right. Um, but that's what that's what they have to do. And yeah. if they can't help the congregation sing, then God bless them, and may they continue. May that remain their focus. We, it, it's so easy to get lost in the whole thing, you know, because we did thirteen talks in two thousand and three, and we asked, well, what's the first question you ask? If I was to, if I was to, if I was to poke you between the eyes now and say. <laughs> Describe your church music in church yesterday. What's the first word you would say or first question you would ask? And not one person said, how did the congregation sing? Mm. So so that's it. if it's helping the congregation sing, then that's great. Yeah. And if it's not, better to use all that enthusiasm and youthful zeal to do something else. Yeah. Well, that's good, Keith. That's awesome. Well, um, thank you very much, Keith, for taking the time to share with all of us today. Um, if you're listening right now and you're interested in hearing more from Keith, you can head to gettymusic.com, G-E-T-T-Y music.com, and uh, there you'll find songs and um, other resources as well that will be able to help you as you uh, yeah, want to worship with the church through music. So anyways, is there anything else you'd like to share? Maybe any resources that you are coming out or anything like that, Keith? Or um, gosh, um, I think the most thing we're most excited about at the minute is this book called Sing, which is really helping people understand why they sing and then how it affects us as individuals, how it affects us as families mm. and our homes, how it affects us as churches and how it affects our witness. And there's a little practical bits at the back as well. So a book called Sing, Okay, I think it's a Broman and Holman book. You can get it in Lifeway or Amazon or Broman and Holman. Or you can get it at Getty Music as well. I think they've got a special dealer as well. Okay, And we're, we're, we're trying to encourage people and music groups and leaderships to, to, to engage with it. Awesome. Just to take congregation singing more seriously. That's great. Well, thank you again, Keith. I hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks so much indeed, sir. That was Christian singer-songwriter Keith Getty. Again, just head to gettymusic.com for all you need to know if this conversation interested you or just inspired you. And also, if you're involved with worship ministry at your church, uh, you should definitely check out the book that him and his wife wrote called Sing. Uh, It's just a great practical resource uh, for you and your team or those around you uh, when it comes to worship ministry, specifically through music. We'd also love to hear your feedback. Uh, When we talk about, like, singing in the church. I mean, there's tons of different kind of theories, opinions, things like that. So maybe you disagreed with something said today, or maybe you have a question or a clarification or whatever. Um, we'd want to hear that. So just connect with us online via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Uh, yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts and connect with you that way. So this opportunity that I was talking about before our conversation, uh, it's an opportunity to help us out. And, and it goes like this. Recently, a group of supporters of the Ministry of Endowed Uh, got together to create what's called a ministry match campaign. Uh, This means that every dollar you may, you know, donate to the ministry of In Doubt, they've pledged to match it one for one, up to a total of $12,500, which is just crazy amazing. So say you give up one coffee or tea or lunch out today and say that's roughly $5 and you donate that money instead, that $5 becomes $10 or a gift of $10 becomes 20, 20 becomes 40, so on and so forth, up to $12,500. If this is something you feel like you can do wisely and, you know, if you really feel like the spirit is pointing you in this direction, um, that would be so, we'd be so grateful for that. So you can call us to make that gift and you can do that at 1-800-663-2425. You can also text to give by texting to the number 604-670-5179. And you can always give online at indoubt.ca if you live in Canada or indoubt.com if you live in the States. And thanks in advance for all of you who do that. Now, coming up next week and the week after, we have a mini two-week series that looks into two different Christians in history 
who were especially devoted to God in their young adult years, even their teenage years. Now, I talk with two separate professors who know their stories well and, and really do help us get inspired from them. So, so you're not going to want to miss either of those next week and the following week. Um, you can also connect with us online, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can also email us at info at indo.ca for any suggestions for guests or topics or whatever. Well, I'm Isaac, and next week we do start that two-week series looking at the life and even the young adult life of C.H. Spurgeon with Dr. Christian George. See you then. Indoubt Ministries exist to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the U.S.